Lord, this morning that song is our prayer and I couldn't pray a better one. We thank you for your word. Amen. This morning, so our sermon text is going to be from John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But before we look at that, if you could, turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. We're going to look at Numbers 21, 4 through 9, before we look at John 3. Because we're going to read the story that Jesus refers to when he's talking to Nicodemus. So over the last several weeks, we've been looking in John 3 at this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And we're coming to the end of it now. But we want to get a better understanding of the point that Jesus is making. So here in Numbers 21, the Israelites, they're in between the time when they were in slavery in Egypt and, and getting to the promised land. They're in this sort of journey between Egypt and the promised land. They, they've had some pretty major ups and they've had some pretty major downs on this journey. And in fact, as we come to, to our passage today, they just had a major up. So they had a battle that they had to fight, and they made a vow to the Lord, and the Lord heard them, and the Lord gave them victory right before what we're about to read. So they just had this great interaction with the Lord where, where they acted faithfully. The Lord uh, worked on their behalf. And now we come to Numbers 21, verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. There's a lot of strange stories in the Bible. This is one of the stranger ones when you really start to think about it. But I just want to make sure that before we look at John 3, there's four parts to this story in Numbers 21 that you need to see. So we're just going to look at this real quick. Charles Spurgeon describes the Israelites in this story as the representatives of men who are sinners. The representatives of men who are sinners. In other words, this is the classic picture of sinful men. This is the classic picture of what sin looks like. So, four parts here that we need to see. Part one is verses four and five. After being faithful to the Lord, they sin against him. They're grumbling against God and Moses. They don't trust in God. So they're like little kids, you know. They're throwing a fit. Little kids on, on a long car ride that are, are throwing a fit. You know, they, they've lost all faith in their parents. These Israelites have lost all faith in their leader appointed by God and in God himself. And if you read there, I mean, it's kind of funny. They say, for there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Wait, so there is food. They just don't like it. They're grumbling. They're complaining. 
They're unhappy. They are sinning, ultimately. And you know one thing we, we think as we read that, if that's not convicting to a Christian, then, then I don't know what it is. Like, the, the sin that's done here is complaining. The sin that's done here is grumbling. But clearly, in God's eyes, it is a terrible enough sin that we get to part two. So part one, they are sinning. Part two, the judgment against their sin. And it's a terrible judgment. They've sinned against God and Moses, so the Lord sends these fiery serpents to kill them. So we don't know for sure what these fiery serpents are exactly. But what we do know is they're awful and they kill people. That's really all we need to know. The Israelites have no answer to these serpents. This is God's judgment against their sin. A question we need to get in our minds now is, is the response just here? Is this a just response to what they did? You know, we can always presume, and a lot of times we do, we presume that the right response from God is to always overlook our sin. We can presume that the right response from God is to always be gracious to us. But this is a just response. They've sinned. The attitude of their heart is ungrateful, untrusting, suspicious, and that's a sin. And so God brings a terrible, just judgment against them. These fiery serpents that kill them. So that's part two. Part three is verse seven. Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. The people come to Moses. They confess their sin. They ask for the Lord's mercy. They've sinned. Judgment has come. And now they respond with this confession and this plea for intercession. So do you see what we have here? We have sin. We have judgment. We have a confession of that sin and a plea for mercy, and then the fourth thing in the story is that God gives mercy. That's verses 8 and 9. And notice how God gives mercy. It's so obviously intentional. This is actually a really weird way to give mercy when you stop and you think about it, isn't it? God could have just made the fiery serpents disappear. He could have just made them go away. The Israelites could have just looked around and been like, oh, they're gone. Thank you, Lord. But that's not at all how God did this. So, again, you've got to see the progression. Sin, judgment. Confession and a plea for mercy, mercy. This is the classic picture of the redemption of Scripture, isn't it? This is the gospel. This is a foreshadowing of the gospel. And so you need to see that before we look at what Jesus says in John 3. But before we leave the story and we go to John 3, just make sure that you realize how crazy this solution to the fiery serpents is. A bronze serpent that you lift up, and if you look at the serpent, you're healed from the bites that you got. What if I told you guys, I'm going to lift this up. If you look at it, you're healed. What would you guys think about me if I said that? I mean, you think I was wacko. You think that's nuts. 
But notice this too, you know, it, the fact that he does it this way, it means the fiery serpents are still there. They didn't just disappear. They were still biting people. You could still get bit by these serpents of God's judgment. But the issue is if you do get bit by them, you can look to this bronze serpent that was lifted up and you would be healed. This isn't, what you've got to see is this is an entirely supernatural way to heal the Jews. An entirely supernatural way. If, again, if this were to happen today, you'd have some Jews going, no, 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 no. I'm not going to look at some statue to get healed. That's ridiculous. I'm going to the doctor. I mean, you got something to put on this bite? You got some anti-venom for me? You've got, you've got some sort of medical treatment that we can do? I'm not looking at some serpent lifted up on a, on a stick to get healed from this bite. That's nuts. But clearly there was nothing that these Jews could do. They were dying. And the way to be healed is so unscientific. It is so impossible. You can only conclude one thing, can't you? It's God. It's God who would heal them when they looked at the serpent. It's the only thing you can conclude from this story. It's entirely supernatural. All right. So now we got that in our minds. Let's go to John 3. Let's pick back up with this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. So Jesus has told this Jewish leader he must be born again to enter into the kingdom. He said that that birth can only come from God by the working of the Spirit. And last week we saw that Nicodemus is unable to understand, receive, or believe what Jesus is saying. And and we ended last week with the point that if this Jewish teacher can't enter the kingdom based on his birth, and he needs God's new birth, and if this Jewish teacher, if he isn't even able to understand what Jesus is saying here, then nobody could. That's what we take away from this. If Nicodemus can't get this, then nobody's going to get this on their own power. Nobody's going to get this under their own ability. It's pretty hopeless. And if it's hopeless for him, it's even more hopeless for you and I, left to ourselves and on our own. There is nothing about us, there's nothing in us, there's nothing that we can do to bring about what Jesus is planning. The Israelites had no answer to these serpents who were biting them. None at all. It was God who healed them. We're building up here to John 3.16. You know, it's the most famous of Bible verses in our day. But before you can really get to that beautiful encouragement, you just have to see The point that Jesus is making is there is nothing you can do. Not one thing you can do to make yourself worthy to enter into his kingdom. It's impossible. So let's look at what Jesus says here. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, we're going to work through this by asking three questions this morning. There is an outline in in the bulletin if you want to use that, but there's three questions I'm going to be working through here. Question number one is really simple. Why 
must the Son of Man be lifted up? Why must the Son of Man be lifted up? We saw in Numbers that the only way for the people to be healed from the serpent's bites was to look at this bronze serpent that Moses lifted up. And so now, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, just as that happened, just as that happened, the Son of Man also must be lifted up. So the answer here is pretty obvious on the surface. Why must the Son of Man be lifted up? Because Nicodemus can't enter the kingdom of God. He can't even understand until God does something supernatural, like he did in Numbers 21. He has to lift up the Son of Man. So in order for Nicodemus, and if Nicodemus can't, in order for anyone to enter into the kingdom of God, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that we can look to him and we can be healed the way that the Israelites looked to the serpent and were healed. Now, there's a clear implication here. I don't know if you saw it. The bronze serpent was lifted up because the people were under what? They weren't just getting bit by snakes. They were under God's terrible judgment. The implication, then, when Jesus makes this parallel and says, just like the serpent had to be lifted up, so must the Son of Man... What he is saying is that Nicodemus and everyone that Jesus is here for are also under God's terrible judgment. They need to be rescued from God's judgment. They need to be saved from God's judgment. And it will come through the Son of Man being lifted up. Now, In this moment, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus doesn't know how this is going to happen. You have to keep that in your mind. You and I, we already know how this is going to happen. We know the story, but, but nobody at this moment but Jesus knows what he's really talking about here. Now, we know, and there's been hints, haven't there? Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the sacrificial animal who will take away the sins of the world. That's a hint. When he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will build it up, that's a hint. He's hinted here, but Nicodemus doesn't understand this yet. He thinks the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the one we read about in Daniel, the one we sang about, oh, worship the King, all glorious above. He thinks the Son of Man is coming as the conquering King. That's what he's expecting to see. He thinks that the the Son of Man is coming to wipe away all of Israel's enemies. That's what he's thinking, that he's coming to destroy all of Israel's enemies and end all of Israel's struggles. But you and I, we know better. We know better. You could sit down, you could read the Gospel of John today. You could ask yourself as you're reading, how many times does John use this phrase, lift it up? You would see he uses it more than a couple. You could ask yourself as you're reading through, how does he use the phrase? It refers to the cross. It refers to the cross. What Nicodemus has to understand, the Jewish teacher, he's born into God's chosen people, 
He has to understand that before the king can come and conquer all of his people's enemies, he has to deal with the fact that his people are enemies of his. Before the king can come and conquer all of his people's enemies, he has to address that his people are enemies of his. They're under his judgment. They're dead in their sins. God speaks to the Jews through Paul in Romans 2. And he says there, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. He says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Jesus is saying that his people, that Nicodemus, and all those Nicodemus represents, they are in the same situation as those people that are in the book of Numbers. They're under the judgment of God. Jesus came to baptize people with fire. Again, God says in Romans chapter 5, For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. So why must the Son of Man be lifted up? What's the the parallel here? God's people are under judgment and they're being eaten, they're being killed by these fiery serpents. And God can save them from that judgment. Nicodemus, you're under judgment. Death is coming for you because you're under the judgment of God. Just as the serpent was lifted up, the Son of Man, though, is going to be lifted up. So you can be healed, so you can be given life, so you can escape this judgment. Again, you can read about, and maybe I'm the only one who does this, and maybe it says something about my heart and I need to think about it. But you read about these Israelites complaining, and you go, That's really harsh that he killed them for complaining. That's really harsh that that he sentenced them to death for grumbling. And that is an indictment on any of us, isn't it? If we think, well, that's not that bad. God is perfectly just. His justice is not based on our understanding of justice. Our understanding of justice can be very flawed. Our understanding of justice usually gives us a lot more credit than we deserve. Our understanding of justice, we use the word justify. Oftentimes we use the word justify to say it was right for them to do something wrong. They were justified in doing something wrong. And our understanding of justice can be very skewed. We can can have sympathy for a person's circumstances, but it does not make their sin, it does not make their evil actions just. God's justice is perfect. That's what we have to get into our heads. God's justice is perfect. He will bring justice to every single 
wrong. Every single sin, every single evil action that is done, He will bring justice too. That's the picture of justice in Scripture. It is absolute. It is all-encompassing. He hates the wicked. Fire and sulfur pour on His head. That's terrifying, isn't it? The Israelites may have felt justified because they were hungry. They weren't finding the promised land. They had just been slaves. They may have felt justified in their sin. They may have felt that their decision to grumble and complain was just, but it was not. That's, that's what we have to face. That's what's so hard for us to face. Because we live with the reality that you and I are sinners. And so we can soften sin because we can't escape it. We, we can't help but sin. So we can tend to soften what sin is. The Bible doesn't, though. And God cannot. He's perfectly just. Every single time that you have grumbled and complained unjustly, that is a sin that deserves death. It is such an absolute and encompassing picture. This is why the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. There's, there's no level of justice for one person and a different level for another. That's what the Jews actually thought about in the Old Testament. That they were going to be judged differently. But they won't. God is perfectly just. All have sinned. And because of that, the Son of Man must be lifted up. There's no other way to escape this absolute reality that God will judge every sin than that the Son of Man be lifted up. He must be. So that's the answer to question one. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Because we're under judgment. And only God can save us. So that's the answer to question one. Question two, what's the main difference between the Son of Man and the bronze serpent? If he must be lifted up because we're under judgment, same picture as what happened in Numbers 21, what's the main difference between the Son of Man and the bronze serpent? Look at the serpent. He's lifted up, be healed. How simple is that, right? Oh, you got bit? Look at the serpent. He'll be healed. Super simple. Now, Nicodemus, you want to be healed. You want to enter the kingdom of God. You want to go from dead to alive. You want to go from under judgment to being under grace. Look to Jesus. It's that simple. But what's different about these two things? Why did, why did looking at the serpent heal the, their bites? I mean, there's really only one answer to this. Why, why did looking at the serpents heal their bites? Because God said so. Like, that's really it. Because God said, if you look at this, you will be healed. But the bronze serpent, it was just a symbol, wasn't it? It was just a, a foreshadowing. The bronze serpent didn't have any power in itself. None at all. The, the bronze serpent worked in Numbers 21 because God said it would work. That's the kind of power that our God has. It worked simply because he said this is what will heal. But that's the only reason. In fact, if you were to look in 2 Kings chapter 18, 
2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4, you would see that this same bronze serpent gets destroyed. Do you know why it gets destroyed? Because people did what people do. They thought there was power in the bronze serpent. And so they begin to worship the bronze serpent. They even named the bronze serpent. And they made sacrifices to the bronze serpent. Because they totally missed what actually happened there. It wasn't the bronze serpent. It was God. If they had been thinking, who would they have worshipped? They would have worshipped God, wouldn't they? How often do we settle for the creature rather than the creator? How often do we realize we're putting our hopes in earthly things? We're putting our hopes in things that God has made. We're not putting our hope in God himself. And that's what they had done with the bronze serpent. But here's the thing. The bronze serpent was nothing. It was just a symbol. It was just a foreshadowing. It was just a statue that they could look at. The power was God's. And that's the major difference. The bronze serpent was nothing but a symbol. It had no power in and of itself. It was nothing. But we don't look at Jesus that way, do we? We don't look at Jesus as though he's just a symbol. We don't look at Jesus as though he's just a statue. We don't look at Jesus as though he's just something that God used. Because with Jesus, it was exactly who Jesus was and what Jesus did that brings about the healing. Why did the broad serpent heal? Only because God said so. Why does Jesus heal? Why does Jesus bring us rescue from God's judgment? Because who he is and what he did was actually effective. Because who he is and what he did was actually effective. Look to Jesus because Jesus himself deserves worship. Jesus is actually what satisfied God's judgment. The bronze serpent didn't satisfy God's judgment, did he? If you read, read Romans 3, 21 through 25 today, and you'll see God's beautiful picture of the gospel there. Romans 3, 21 through 25. Read that today. One of the things you'll see is you'll see Paul talking there about God overlooking former sins. He overlooked former sins, and what that means is he overlooked the sins of his people in the Old Testament who were going to escape his justice, And Paul tells you that he overlooked those sins because he had a plan to become the just and the justifier of all those who believe in Jesus Christ. You're under the judgment of God. God is perfectly just, which means God can't just overlook your sin. Not forever. God is perfectly just. If he were to say, I'm just going to overlook y'all's sin, would he remain just? No, he wouldn't. He would become unjust. Because we've sinned. That can't be overlooked. He must bring judgment against it. Jesus is effective. God's justice was perfectly satisfied for every sin that God's people did on the cross.
We look to Jesus because what He did actually justifies us. We're no longer under God's judgment when we look to Jesus. Not simply because God said so, but because God poured out His judgment and wrath that you deserve. The death that you, you deserved a fiery serpent coming to bite you. I deserved that because of our sin. God can remain just and yet still save us because Jesus took the wrath that we deserved. He took the death that we deserved. We worship Jesus because He did bring about our salvation. Not a symbol. The Son of God. If you only hear one thing today, hear this. Stop trying to justify your own sin. Forget about trying to justify your own sin. Thinking that we can justify our sin in the sight of God is not logical, it's not possible, and it's not biblical. We need to understand that God's justice does not make allowances. And that's okay. Because God has made a way for you to be just. Stop trying to justify your own sin to yourself. Stop trying to explain away the sin that you know is in your heart as though it's okay. That's us depending upon ourselves. That's us acting like we can get ourselves into the kingdom of God. But Jesus is abundantly clear. You can't. He's more clear though. You can't and you don't have to. The Son of Man was lifted up. Forget about trying to justify yourself. Look to Jesus. He can actually justify you. Look to Jesus and you find forgiveness for your sins. Look to Jesus and you find healing. Look to Jesus and you find life. Our sins, every one of them, they have to be punished. And so Jesus was lifted up on a cross so that God's wrath would be poured out. Do you know when? Anybody in Numbers 21 who was actually one of God's children, one of the remnant, do you know when their sins were justified? On the cross. Everyone's sins who enters into the kingdom of God. Abraham's sin. Moses' sin, David's. When were they made right before God? When Jesus took the punishment that they deserved. That's what Paul means in Romans 5, Romans 3, when he says that God overlooked former transgressions. Nicodemus, do you want eternal life? Look to Jesus. So what is the difference between the serpent and the Son of Man? The serpent's just a symbol. 
the Son of Man effectively, effectively satisfied God's judgment. We still worship the Son of Man. We're here to worship the Son of Man. We'll be worshiping the Son of Man for our entire existence. So question three, last question this morning. What must we do? What must we do? And it's simple. Look to Jesus. Nowhere else. There is only one way. One supernatural way. Do you want to be in God's kingdom? Get rid of your pride. Get humble. Realize we've got nothing in us that's worthwhile. Enough to get us into God's grace. And yet God pours His love out on us. And yet while we were still sinners, we were reconciled to God through Christ. And yet His love flows out through the Spirit. Left to ourselves, you may as well get bit by a fiery serpent and die. But you look to Jesus. That's what we do. We look to Jesus because He's effective. We look to Jesus because there's no other way to come to God and enter His kingdom. There is no other way to be able to face what's actually in your heart. You know, often we just won't even face what's in our heart. But if you understand that God brings us forgiveness and peace and life in Jesus, you can walk in the light. You know, some of the Jews, they may not have looked to the serpent because they didn't believe it would work. Get me a doctor instead. There's got to be a way that I can take care of us, that I can take care of my problems. And we can do the same thing. If I just stop doing this, if I can get this under control, if I can take care of that, if I can just make sure that this stays covered over and, and never really comes to light, if, if I can do all of these things, we'll be all right. If I, can just, if I can just get control of my life, then I'll be okay. That's not at all what Scripture says. Scripture says, no, you look to Jesus. He's the one who makes us right. There's another reason, though, why they may not look to Jesus. And I, and I thought Charles Spurgeon said this just beautifully, so I'm going to read what he said. He said, It may be there were some who were so busy looking at their sores that they did not think of looking at the serpent. Poor creatures. They lay in their misery and kept looking first at that wound on the foot and then at that one on the hand and crying over their sores and never looked at the serpent. Scores and hundreds perish in that way. Oh, says the sinner, I have been so sinful. Man, what has that to do with it? Christ is all your merit. Look at Him. No, no, says another. I cannot look at Christ. Oh, sir, you do not know what crimes I have committed. I have been a drunkard. I have been a swearer. I have been a whoremonger or whatnot. How can I be saved? My dear man, your wounds have nothing to do with it. It is just Christ on the cross. 
If any poor creature bitten by the serpent had said to me, Now it is no good my looking there. See how often I have been bitten. There's a huge serpent twisting around me. There's another devouring my hand. How can I live? I should say to him, My dear fellow, do not take notice whether you've got one serpent or fifty serpents. One bite or fifty bites. All you have to do is look. You have nothing to do with these bites except that you have to feel them and perish by them unless you look. But look, just look straight to Christ. And now, thou chief of sinners, believe in the Lord Jesus and be thy sins ever so many. He is able to save unto the uttermost them that come unto God by him. And yet how many perish through these de delusions and the gospel is before their very eyes. The gospel is lifted up on the pole so plainly that we wonder that they do not see. Guys, it's not that hard, right? <laughs> you get bit by one serpent, you get by, bit by 50. Do you know what the difference is? Well, nothing, because you're still going to die. The, the whole issue is not that he has to overcome more bites. The whole issue is he has to overcome death. Maybe you've only sinned a little. Maybe you have sinned terribly your whole life. That doesn't matter. We're still talking about death and judgment. And Christ is sufficient. He is enough. He is able to save. Look to God's salvation. It's not complicated. It's as simple as the four parts I started with. You're a sinner. God will judge you, and that judgment is terrible. Confess and plead for mercy, and then what? Look to God's salvation. He specifically said, look at the serpent. Nothing else. He said, look at the serpent. He specifically says to you and I, what? Look at the Son of Man lifted up. Don't look anywhere else. Don't try and find it in some clever somewhere else. Look at the Son of Man lifted up. That's God's salvation. One last quote, and then I'll stop. The bronze serpent healed me when I first saw the Lord, and the bronze serpent heals me tonight, and will do so till I die. Jesus is lifted up that saints might not perish, but might persevere in grace to everlasting life. How is our spiritual life made everlasting life? But by the continuing of that look. We are still to be looking to Jesus as long as we live. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. For stripping away for us everything and bringing out the core of what's happening. We are under judgment because you are just and we need a Savior. 
And Jesus is that Savior. Lord, I pray that we would look to Jesus this week. I pray, Lord, that we would not hide our sins, that we would not cover over them, but we would bring them to you. Confess them. Every one of them, Lord. That we would know that you heal us. You give us life through Jesus. Lord, I pray that we're overwhelmed this week to think that Jesus' death was effective. I pray that we would all look to Jesus. And we ask it in His name. Amen.